This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey, it's Tim Eccles. I'm on the road. Jekyll Island, one of my favorite places at the Georgia Climate Conference. Just finished up with the Georgia Energy Conference and visiting with folks here and had to stop and visit with my friend Jeff, the Energy Efficiency Strategy Manager. It's a mouthful. That's right, it is. But it's good to see you again, Commissioner Eccles. And it's been a great conference so far and lots of good information getting shared. You know, we, we talk energy efficiency a lot, probably not enough in our state, but when people aren't having to spend money because they've done something to their house, insulation, or they maybe they've they've sealed up some cracks, or they've got a higher sear AC. I mean, that's real money. It is. I mean, when you think you know, customers are saving dollars that would have been going to their energy. It's dollars they can either reinvest in other things, or put towards their savings and uh, lower their overall monthly cost. You and I've talked before on the show about uh, the the smart thermostat program and that's one of the things we're going to talk about today it's a, a really an ingenious thing where we've taken an old idea and we've kind of made it better i mean do you see energy efficiency as evolving for the better now it, it definitely is. I mean, you know, there's there been those tried and true energy efficiency improvements for years, but as technology's coming along, automation is coming along, and those pieces of equipment are coming down in price, it's, it's really opening up a new market in energy efficiency that we haven't seen before. And you guys are trying to make it easy for people with your marketplace so people can go on actually to georgiapower.com and you can actually buy some of these items and you can get a rebate on some of them too, right? That's right. Things like high efficiency LED lighting, smart thermostats. Uh, They can even sign up for our demand response program while they're buying that thermostat on the marketplace, making it simpler and easier for them to participate. Let's go through some of these programs that you have. And, you know, our listeners uh, uh, may want to click over to georgiapower.com to find out a little bit more. We'll post this on our Twitter feed, but let's just, let's go through these programs because we're coming out of COVID and some of the programs that have been on pause, you are now kind of restarting because your folks can get back in the homes. That's right. We're fully relaunched with all six of our residential programs and five uh, commercial programs. From a residential perspective, uh, the first program we have is a behavioral program, and it really is an opportunity to see how you're using energy compared to your neighbors, and it offers you low and no-cost opportunities to make improvements. Uh, we have a residential lighting program as well that allows customers, either through the marketplace, which you just mentioned, or through various retail stores around the state, to be able to go in and buy high-efficient LED lighting, uh, and it's instantly rebated, so they don't have to go through any process to get that savings. Let me ask you about the behavioral program. My wife is studying psychology and getting a graduate degree. My daughter's getting a graduate degree in psychology. I mean, is it, 
is it a desire that people have to, I mean, want to keep up with their neighbors? I mean, you've always heard the expression keeping up with the Joneses, right, when it comes to, like, material possessions. But when you think about doing without something, like without as much energy or somehow changing your behavior regarding how you're living your life with something like electricity, do people want to do that or is it maybe a certain type of person? No, that's a great question. Um, and it is. It's a science called social norming. And so what it basically is built around is that nobody wants to be on the edges. Everybody wants to be sort of in the middle and be seen as like others. And so that's what these programs are built off of. It's not telling you you're doing anything wrong. It's telling you, hey, this is what everybody else is doing. And it gives you an opportunity to come to that middle. And it builds off of that um, science of social norming. Okay, let's hop back into the programs. Uh, The thermostat demand response program is a mouthful, but it's utilizing smart thermostats. Correct, and it's one you and I have talked about in the past. We do shorten the name called to temp check to make it simpler, uh, but that's exactly what it does is it allows you to use smart thermostats to preheat or pre-cool your house. Uh, and allows you to reduce the amount of energy you need during peak energy demand time. So it's a way to help your neighbors. I teased you last time. Uh, maybe we had Casey Boyce, uh, my co-host, with me talking about a, a, a robot home or something like that. But it it does allow you all to utilize the smart thermostat because it, it gets logged into your system. So if, you, if you're going to have an event, which I think is what you call it, you notify people. Kind of take us through how this program works because I'm really intrigued by it. Yeah, so it, it, what it basically does is it sends you a notification on your app that comes with that thermostat and through the thermostat itself and says, hey, tomorrow there's going to be a peak need for air conditioning or a peak need for heating. Would you allow us to preheat or pre-cool your house and then turn your thermostat down during that period? Uh, and they have the option to say yes or no. If they say yes, then it does it automatically. The thermostat does all the work for them. They don't have to adjust it. They don't have to do anything other than ride through the event comfortably, and then the thermostat returns to normal directly after. All right, what if I'm having, like, you know, my family over for a barbecue or something like that? Uh, can I stop it? You can. You have the ability during the event a limited number of times to override that through the year. So to your point, people show up, they're ready to eat, and you don't want them to be uh, sweating in a hot house. So you can go to your thermostat, set it to your comfort level, and override it for that event. So are you having good feedback for this program? Uh, Last time you and I talked, maybe a year ago, you've got a little more data uh, in in the can. What, What are you finding out about this particular program? So, so to this point, we're finding out it does have high customer satisfaction associated with it, and it saves or it shifts more energy than the previous version of this that was an old control device on the uh, HVAC system. So what we're seeing is higher customer satisfaction, higher participation in the program, and therefore shifting more energy in peak periods than we have in the past. Why would a person be satisfied with having their smart thermostat altered? Do they feel like they're helping the grid? They're being a good citizen? What, what, as you kind of, you know, uh, as you kind of analyze this, what what is it that's causing them to have that good feeling? Um, I think it's a couple of different things. One is there's the benefit of being able to get an instant rebate on that thermostat, so it doesn't cost them as much to purchase this new technology that they're looking at. But fundamentally, it goes back to what you're saying. Customers that participate 
in this type of program want to help. They want to be um, a good citizen, and this is one way that they feel they can do that. All right, let's go to the next program. I think it's the refrigerator recycling program. I participated in that at our Winterville house. I had this old refrigerator, and we really weren't using it. And then y'all's guys came out and loaded it up, took it away. And I understand that they were parting it out, or I, 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 it, it was the guy tried to explain it to me, but it sounded fascinating. That's right. So um, a customer can call us or go online and schedule a pickup. We show up at their house, remove the refrigerator and recycle it in an environmentally friendly way. So they get the benefit of getting rid of an old inefficient unit, getting an incentive for doing it, saving energy and knowing that it's going to be recycled in a manner that that helps the community. You know, when you think about energy efficiency, there may be things that people keep plugged in or like these old refrigerators, other things where they're, they're so used to seeing it uh, that they that they've grown accustomed to it, and it's it's eating away, adding you know adding kilowatt hours to their bill and adding money to their bill. That's right. Um, you know, like you say, you get used to seeing it. You get a new fridge in the kitchen. You move the old one to the basement or to the garage, uh, and it stays partially full, or you only use it at holidays. You're so used to seeing it, you don't realize that it's costing you a hundred dollars or more a year to run it and have it there. Um, and getting it off of that system saves you energy and saves you money. So we definitely want to see folks that have those older units that aren't in use to, to help let us come out and help you get rid of it. that include a freezer, too, or just a refrigerator? No, we'll do refrigerators and freezers. They have to be uh, 10 cubic feet or greater. Um, but if, as long as they meet that criteria and they're working, we'll come get it and recycle it. we just got about a minute or so left. Let's uh, get through the rest of our list. Okay, so we've got two more residential programs. Uh, the Home Energy Improvement Program, it's really that program that's designed for all existing homeowners. Uh, you can go in and reduce uh, your total energy usage by doing a variety of different improvements by 25%, and we'll pay you a rebate, a significant rebate for doing that, or... You can buy those smart thermostats or add attic insulation, those types of things. And then we have a close um, cousin to that program, which we call the Home Energy Efficiency Assistance Program. Uh, And it is geared towards whole house energy improvement, but it's really focused on customers that um, have a high energy burden or income qualified. And it gives us an opportunity to help them reduce their energy bill and save that the much needed dollar. So as we think about, uh, just in the last minute, the Home Energy Efficiency Assistance Program, is that something anyone can participate in, uh, you know, in terms of helping others with it? How, how does that work? And so to, to participate in the program itself, you have to qualify as income qualified by, um, by some program guidelines, but anybody can help their neighbor in this program. You know, one of the benefits of it is there are dollars that um, or that are in place through the IRP programs that we go through that sets a budget for it. But there's also an opportunity for customers to go in through an online portal and donate money to help their neighbors. Uh, and it gives us the chance to do more work when we're in those homes or even get to more homes. So there's an easy way to do it online, and we're, we're happy to help customers get that done. Yeah, that's really cool. Helping your neighbors, this is yet another creative way for us to do it. Thanks for being on the show today. Uh, Great seeing you again, Commissioner. Hey, this is Tim Eccles at the Jekyll Island Convention Center talking to Jeff about some of the very cool energy efficiency programs that Georgia Power is doing. Stick around. More great ideas on energy and sustainability coming up. I'm Tim Eccles.
Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with two of my brains here. Yeah, yeah, I have to have extra brains because uh, a, lot of, a lot of busy stuff at the Public Service Commission. So Rob Trokey, he runs our electric unit. You're the electric unit director. So you've been at the commission a long time. Yes, that's right. About 14 years and about the last uh, 16 months as the director. Yeah, so we're coming out of COVID. We're trying to get back into the office and we've got this integrated resource plan coming up. We're going to talk to you about that in just a second. Jamie Barber, my renewable brain, always talking to her about creative ways to do all the solar stuff. She's the energy efficiency and renewable energy unit director, right, Jamie? That's correct. Yeah, so we're down here at Jekyll. We're on the road. A lot of of great sessions here, uh, and it's important for the Public Service Commission to be present. I mean, we've already been invoked in a couple of sessions uh, already. I've just done an interview with GPB about some of the stuff uh, coming up, but uh, the IRP that, that, that I mentioned to Rob, that impacts you too, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, the IRP includes how much renewables and energy efficiency will also be part of the mix or generation mix. So, Rob, this IRP created in 1991, it was kind of a public policy trend, I guess, shiny object sweeping the country. Ours was created in 91. It's never been amended over there in the legislature, so it must be working. It seems to be. We look out 20 years and... Um, we, we look at what generation resources uh, we have, what's needed to make sure we have the uh, sufficient capacity uh, to serve customers here in Georgia. And, and really, the technology is changing so much that even though um, the process itself hasn't changed, we have seen the integration of additional uh, technology, solar renewables, um, through that process. You know, as we think about 
all of these companies coming into Georgia, these data centers. Right? We, our commission is just recently looking at this Bryan County mega site that the state has procured. That could very well wind up being some kind of electric car factory. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but clearly things are moving our way. Rob, as you, as you get your crystal ball out, do you see increased load coming in our state or do you feel like it's going to remain fairly static? Well, there's sure to be additional load over time as the economy here in Georgia grows. Um, certainly, the, the population is growing. Uh, we are attracting more manufacturing uh, to the state, and, and it's an ideal place to be for business. Um, so certainly, we need to look out over that horizon and see what's ahead, and we need to plan for that. Jamie, it seems like every time we do this IRP, power company comes they have their own ideas of course they write the irp of the integrated resource plan uh and then we kind of react to it they're proactive we're reactive and then ultimately the five commissioners make a decision about exactly what part of it we want to amend or approve or something like that and you guys are are getting ready for this document to be given to you what's it going to be like for you your own personal workload when you get this because you got to go through it right yeah that's correct well when we get it next january the end of january 2022 it's going to be quite hectic because we do look at it to see uh, what generation they may be retiring any needs and that would be really area that rob works on and then also too how much renewables need to be added uh, energy efficiency or other supply side measures or demand side measures we need to take into consideration and then also something that's going to be unique for this one is we're going to be kicking out the second part of the utility scale uh, RFP that was actually approved in 2019 at the end of this year so we're going to have a over a thousand megawatt procurement going on at the same time as the IRP so it's going to be quite hectic for staff next year. Yeah so Rob we just you know, really had this Texas outage in our rearview mirror from January 14th, 15th. We're recording this in the summer. It's hot here. It's hot in California. They have threats of rolling outages fairly regularly. They don't have the outages all the time, but there's always that possibility, right, depending on how the sun is doing and how much the wind is blowing um, out there. Does does resiliency, does reliability, you know, is that something that you think about you know, on a regular basis as you report back to us? Certainly. And and this is on the minds not only of the businesses in Georgia, but the customers, the residential customers who, when they're, whether at home, working virtually, or just there with their family, um, they want that reliability. They need it, especially during times of um, critical weather periods, either during the the winter or during hot streaks during the summer and we're seeing that uh, more and more and and certain places in the country are having difficulties adjusting to that and they haven't weatherized the way they need to so yeah it's it's a critical aspect of what we do when we review the IRP to ensure that the mix that's being provided um, not only is it are going to be available, but it's going to be available during those times that we have sufficient, um, you know, additional reserves available uh, to meet that demand. You know, 
you think about reserves, and we've talked a lot on our show recently about dispatchable energy, and that you just mentioned that when you need it, uh, and so you, th you think about maybe a time in California in the fall when the wind's not blowing and the rain is coming and it's overcast and their renewable production is down substantially and it's down over a five-day period. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the batteries aren't charging back the way that they should. Now, we've got a little bit of a crisis and that's something their power companies, their commissions have to deal with. I'm glad that we're not there. Right. At some level, you know, you, you'll have sufficient penetration of renewables that you really need to start considering those prolonged periods. We, we don't have affordable long duration storage at this point, something that may be coming down the road. But you, you do need a mix of technologies to uh, be able to serve the load on demand. Um, and you know, we, we have a sufficient amount of nuclear power that we know will be online for for years to come we have additional nuclear power that will be online in the near future and the the natural gas resources that's uh, uh, really a real-time uh, source of generation so it's it, it's important that the electricity is available when you need it and to have that backup power um, and it, a, a lot of places if the um, you know the the alternatives to overbuild your renewable portfolio and, and that can get expensive. Jamie, I'm hearing a lot about virtual power uh, around the country, um, where you know you do things. Uh, I guess it's it's really kind of an energy efficiency play where you're doing things to essentially not use the power that 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 you were going to use. So you're. That you that you might have used. You're focusing a lot on renewables, and and we're talking solar primarily in Georgia. But energy efficiency that's something you think about a lot too, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Georgia Power does have uh, energy efficiency programs as part of their um, RP planning. DSM certification is also part of that. So, for in my opinion, energy efficiency is important. Uh, it is important for uh, to reduce customers to reduce their usage or uh, use higher efficiency equipment. So that is something that we continue to meet with Georgia Power on. Even within the IRP cycles, we have a DSM, Demand Side Management Working Group, that we continue to look at options or programs that the company should consider as part of their portfolio. A couple of minutes left uh, in this segment. Uh I ran into a guy the other day at church. He was getting his Tesla. I gave him my card. He wrote me, and it turns out he's the president of Mitsubishi, their HVAC department. And he and I have become friends. I went out to his house, and he was showing me his 22-seer Mitsubishi splits that he has. And he was, he was quite proud. He sells these, of course. But he's quite proud of just how efficient these units are. I mean, can you imagine how much power we would save if everybody's air conditioning in Georgia was rated at 22 SEER? Uh, yes, most definitely. But um, I could, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but most definitely it would uh, definitely save a lot of energy. Well, Rob, as we wrap up this segment and as you think about energy planning coming up next year, you're going to be 
really busy. This is a, you know, a time when things get super busy in your department. Kind of just take our listeners through, uh, you know, what, what you all have to do to prepare, a, you know, to respond to this IRP. Certainly. First, we do need to respond to what is proposed. We don't know in advance everything that will be proposed by George Power, but we need to take the the binders, the volumes of, of documents that are provided to us, whether it's a unit retirement study or a generation mix. Um, we, we will work with consultants as well in our process to, to ensure that we're going to have a, a mix of, of capacity that will provide reliable service, but we have to look at the economics as well. We have to let that drive um, some of the decisions we make. Well, I really appreciate all you guys do to serve not only the five commissioners, of which I'm one, but all of our citizens, almost 11 million across the state. Rob, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And Jamie, thank you very much. You and I interact all the time, but thank you so much for serving me and all of our citizens. All right. Thank you. Hey, it's Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Stick around. More innovation and technology coming around the corner. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings today. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with a frequent guest, Kevin Greiner from Gas South. We're going to be talking about headwinds and tailwinds of natural gas. Kevin, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure, Tim. Good to see you again. First, let me just ask you about this acquisition. Uh, Infinite, now a part of Gas South. How's that going? It's going great. We're now serving customers in 14 different states. Those are residential customers in Georgia and in New Jersey, actually. Commercial and industrial customers in Florida, the Carolinas. A lot of industrial customers also all around 
around the rest of the eastern half of the United States, stretching from Texas uh, all the way up through Ohio and up to New Jersey. So it's been tremendous. Great team. The best part has been the culture. What a great team. We added so much in our capability set, and uh, we're just having a great time working together and serving customers. You know, I commute from Jackson County down 85, passing that old infinite energy center. What's it called now? It's called Gas South District. And so that includes Gas South Arena, which is a 13,000 person arena, a theater of about 850 seats, and also the Gas South Convention Center, which is being massively redeveloped and expanded. So we were delighted. It's not the reason we acquired Infinite, of course. You know, we acquired them for other reasons related to our core business. But boy, it's been great to have such a great asset and have our name on that. Let's talk about just marketing gas in general. Maybe folks moving into the state, they're used to seeing their power bill from a company that has a territory like Georgia Power or their EMC or a city. But we deregulated natural gas here in 1997-1998. Has that been good for the state? I think it's been great for the state. Uh, Industrial customers love it because they get to choose their provider and they get a lot of different types of rate plans. They can fix their rate. They can go on an index-based rate. We've had some deals, Tim. uh, Economic development wins in Georgia. It actually makes customer choice in the gas industry much easier and more elegant than it is in the electric side. And when you think about some of the snafus that we've had with deregulation, you think about California, you think about Texas recently, it's all been electricity. Natural gas, on the other hand, very smooth. You don't hear those same stories. In part, I think it's because of the nature of the commodity, what we're selling, how it can be stored. You have fewer problems uh, to worry about. And certainly the competitive markets worked very, very well in the markets that we serve, like Georgia, Florida, Carolinas, and elsewhere. You know, not everybody takes chemistry, but, you know, if they did, they maybe would know about liquid methane. AGL has a number of liquid methane tanks. And when you take the temperature down to about minus 263, 64 degrees, methane gas does become a liquid. And all of a sudden, it takes up a whole lot less space. And so the gas is actually, not all the gas, but our emergency gas is stored in liquid form. That's right. And that also exists, of course, for the natural gas that we export to other countries through LNG tankers, liquefied natural gas tankers. That ends up being really important for us as well as a country because we're able to export this very valuable fuel to countries that are allies of ours in Asia, in Europe, and it helps to mitigate uh, some of the influence that other countries would have over those uh, those allies if we weren't able to provide you know the natural gas to them. So LNG, liquefied natural gas, so important both for export purposes, but also for reliability of supply. And by being able to have liquefied natural gas in tanks, ready to go when demand is highest, that was a really, really important part of the natural gas economy. Yeah, because then all we have to do is heat it up just a wee bit and it becomes a gas and it's just right there, ready to go into the system. That's right. And there's no transporting then of natural gas long distances through interstate pipelines. That's always an important part of the the, uh, economics of natural gas. But having that reliable local source available too. Uh, during especially times in the winter where demand gets very high is really, really important for resiliency and reliability of natural gas. 
you mentioned about exporting the natural gas, and I know the the price of gas seems to be ticking up ever so slightly. What's causing the increase in the price? Well, we've had a very hot summer in a lot of parts of the country, not so much in the southeast, but when you look at out west, you look at the northeast, it's been pretty hot. And the reason that that matters is because then there's a lot more electricity demand in the summer to run air conditioning, and a lot of the electricity that we generate comes from natural gas. So that's one piece. There's also the economic recovery. And it's come probably faster than anybody expected when we were in the throes of the pandemic about a year ago. So that's certainly a big piece of it. And then you have the overall commodity inflation that we're seeing across numerous uh, types of uh, types of materials. And natural gas has not been um, 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 uh, exempt from some of those overall increases in prices. So I think it's mostly those sorts of things, a little more demand from production, industrials, uh, definitely some supply shortages given the uh, high degree of natural gas that's been used for electricity this summer. And um, those, I think, are the main reasons that you're seeing it. But hopefully we'll get to a place where, you know, the prices come back down. What's important to him to know is that you know, although prices seem high now, when you look at it from a historical basis, if you take a longer view, 15 years, say, gas prices are still extremely affordable and very affordable relative to other energy sources. The Colonial Pipeline, which was a liquid fuel pipeline, I think of our gasoline, diesel, different things that are coming maybe from Houston here, uh, the hacking of that, the shutdown for safety of it, then the paying of the ransom. You know, as you looked at that and thought about our natural gas pipeline, which wasn't impacted in that, did it cross your mind that we got to get a handle on cybersecurity? Absolutely. I mean, all of our energy infrastructure, whether it's being used for liquid fuels or gaseous fuels like the one that we sell, uh, it's very important that we um, take every precaution that we can to ensure that the bad guys don't get into these systems. You know, we rely as Gas South on interstate pipelines to bring the gas from where it's being produced places like Texas, Pennsylvania, Ohio, bring those to the markets that we primarily serve in the southeastern United States. We also rely on our utility partners like Atlanta Gaslight in Georgia, uh, Tico People's Gas in Florida for the distribution of the natural gas to homes and businesses. All those entities definitely have uh, you know, some, some um, uh, 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 vulnerabilities, if you will, just by the nature of the business that we're in. So uh, the companies that we work with do a great job trying to keep their systems as secure as possible, but it's very important. And then for ourselves, even as a natural gas marketer, we need to also ensure that, you know, our systems are airtight and that we don't have any kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, intrusions into our, our systems. We're doing this recording high atop a building in downtown Atlanta. And from these windows, we can see Plant McDonough in Smyrna, uh, a former coal plant now running on natural gas, supplying a lot of Atlanta's electricity need. How much cleaner is the emissions from Plant McDonough now than when it was an unscrubbed coal plant? Well, you start with carbon and CO2 emissions are about 50% of what they were when it was uh, when it was coal. If you look at other types of pollutants, the, it's even more significant, the reductions. If you look at particulate matter, more than 90% reduction. If you look at nitrogen oxides and sulfur dioxide, more than 90% reduction. And those are the pollutants, of course, that cause smog. They cause asthma. They call direct health effects on individuals. So um, it's always important to look at the carbon side of it, but also 
all of these other pollutants and to recognize that natural gas really is the clean burning fossil fuel. Do we have a robust supply? Have we, are we getting close to exhausting it? I know we're getting gas from the Marcellus Shell and from, you know, from, uh, from Texas, from Louisiana, from uh, maybe from Colorado. How, how is the supply now? Supply situation is better than it's ever been. I mean, we have well more than 100 years of supply at current uh, consumption rates in the United States to continue to serve the country with natural gas. So, you know, natural gas, I talk about the four P's in terms of the advantages of natural gas, if you will, the um, the, the tailwinds. Uh, price, it starts with, you know, it's a very affordable fuel performance. There's nothing better to heat, dry, and cook stuff with. And it's also great for feedstocks. In fact, it's essential for making so many chemicals and fertilizer and uh, uh, various other important products. Um, Profile, the profile of natural gas is very, very good. We talked about the emissions profile. That is so important uh, for ensuring cleaner air for our country. And then you have politics. And a lot of people say, well, politics, you know, it feels like natural gas is actually under siege these days. But if you really think through the politics of natural gas, uh, it gives us huge advantages when it comes to geopolitics, providing natural gas to our allies, um, which they can use in lieu of Russian gas, which is otherwise what they're going to use to run their power plants and heat their homes and businesses. Local politics is also really important. You know, the states that are producing a lot of natural gas, it's not just Texas anymore. It's places like Ohio, Pennsylvania. These are swing states today. So from a political standpoint, these are very important states. I don't think that most elected officials are going to want to Um, destroy jobs in those places. The key for us with natural gas is ensuring that we can continue to clean up our own operations, both at production and at the transmission and distribution of natural gas, reduce fugitive emissions, reduce methane leaks, because natural gas has a very bright future. You know, we talk about it sometimes as a bridge fuel. It should be a very, very long bridge for us. And the other thing that I, I should mention, too, is that natural gas works so well with renewables, right? It is the dispatchable energy source. And so if you're going to have solar, wind in the mix, you need natural gas to complement those resources. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show today. How can folks find out about Gas South? So just visit us at gassouth.com. You'll read about our commitment to uh, uh, providing uh, help to children in need. We give back 5% of our profits to children in need. We also have announced a goal to um, Uh, to uh, uh, invest $50 million in solar energy by the end of 2023. Well, thanks for being on the show. Hey, stick around. One more segment. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good.
This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, Tim Eccles back with you for one more segment in very loud Union City, Georgia. I actually own location with Mosin Tusi of BMVW. You hear his ads all the time here. Great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, it's auction day for you Thursday when we're recording this. Our show, of course, airs on the weekends in five markets and on every podcast platform. Uh, But wholesale auctions are an important part of the used car business, aren't they? Absolutely. It is just so essential for the leasing company, manufacturer that, you know, uh, wants to just get rid of their cars and then dealers like us Carvana, CarMax and franchise dealer buy these cars put them in the market for general public so that's what the wholesale auction is all about the pandemic has had quite an impact in the car business I know my brother's auction for Mannheim and one of my brothers who's worked for Mannheim for decades has lost his job, Terry. I think you, he's auctioned some of your cars or you've bought well, when, he's, when he's auctioned. And I think this whole online aspect of how the auction business is working now has really changed the car business forever. Absolutely. For a, for a while, the only way to purchase a car was just to view, view it on the computer and just put bet. There was no walking through, no live auction. It was all online. But gr- now gradually they are bringing cars that they run it, run it through the lane and people can actually view it. But, you know, it just changed the whole thing. You know, now pe- more people, dealers like us, I used to go to auction like two, twice or three times a week. But now I just spend maybe one hour, uh, you know, doing the auction. I mean, going to the auction and walking the lane. Otherwise, I'm at the computer just reviewing the information and bidding on cars. Mosin, um, we had a chip shortage, which was causing a shortage in new cars. And then I guess with supply and demand, it created a greater market for used cars driving up the price. Was that for just gas cars or was it electric cars too? For, for all cars. I would say for gasoline car, the prices of the used car increased by maybe 10 to 12 percent. But uh, at the same time, the price of gasoline is going up and that uh, typically drives the people toward uh, purchasing a more efficient car like hybrids plug-in hybrids and of course all electric vehicles that you know me and you love kelly blue book uh the folks over there at cox automotive were telling me that the number one search in during the pandemic was, was for the rav4 hybrid uh is the the rav4 hybrid a hard car to get now it is. They are super expensive at auction, and they are great car. You know, Toyota mastered the <clears throat> development of technology for hybrid cars, and they tend to be very reliable and very popular. I noticed on your website you've got a couple of Prius Primes, uh, which are plug-in 
Priuses. Of course, the Prius was the original hybrid that Toyota came with, I guess, in 97, maybe. Um, but they, like you said, they perfected it. Um, the Prius Prime, the two units that you have, you know, what do you like about those cars? Well, the, the versatility, uh, you know, for people who their drive cycle is short, like 20 miles, 30 miles, uh, that electric uh, storage, that extra electric storage that you can plug in and charge it up helps. And then chances are that you don't burn as much gasoline. And then for the long drive cycle, if you're traveling, then you have the regular gas engine that can take you anywhere you want to go without a stress of looking for a charging station. So that's the real advantage of plug-in hybrids. My wife drives a plug-in Porsche and her drive cycle is 15 miles and she never, almost never has to put gasoline because she just goes such a short cycle. But Prius, I think Prius primed the... The, if you have a drive cycle that's 25 miles, that's just adequate for the charge that it can take. Alan Shedd, who's a regular guest on our program, has a Prius Prime. He, he said 32 miles is what he was able to, to charge to. I mean, we talk a lot on the show about your, your drive cycle. And, and evaluating that before buying a car, is that something that you discuss with customers as they come in? Yes, absolutely. For instance, if a customer is a customer that frequently takes 400 miles trip, uh, my typical advice is with the all-electric car, it can be a stress. Although the infrastructure for charging is all over now and they are expanding, but that's probably not for someone that wants to frequently take 400 miles. So that will be a plug-in hybrid for somebody that's making frequent long trip. But for like in-town driving, uh, all-electric car, I think, is the best option because it does not have none of the component that the gas engine has. It doesn't have catalytic converter, the EGR, the induction, the, the fuel delivery. All, all those are just eliminated in the all-electric car. So I think if somebody can... Uh, use an all-electric car and they are in search of buying uh, an, an, another vehicle, that's the way to go because infrastructure for charging is expanding and you don't have none of those components that fails in a gasoline car. Mosin, uh, cars come and go. Uh, brands uh, are popular and then they're not. We remember how popular that Nissan Leaf was and in 2000. 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, the tax credit went away in Georgia. I mean, the car was never super popular in other states other than Georgia. Uh, um, what, what is the popular EV right now? I would say Tesla. Tesla is actually the brand that everybody trying to catch up with, with the range of the new Tesla, the newest Tesla that's coming up nearly 500 miles. That's just extraordinary. Now, Volkswagen, uh, Ford, and other manufacturers trying to reach to 300 miles range. So I would say Tesla. Tesla is still the brand that everybody following and all other manufacturers trying to catch up with. So plain and simple, Tesla is the most popular. 
Mosa and I had a chance to take a, a Tesla to Jacksonville on an extended trip, a Cobb EMC car. We used it last year on the Clean Energy Roadshow. And you know, I've had six electric cars. Uh, I, I have a, a Chevy Volt from your dealership now. But that Tesla and their chargers and that the ability for those cars to talk to those chargers and for you to be able to see it right there on your dash to know how many miles you've got to go to, to their next charger, how many people are charging, how long you need to sit on that. I mean, uh, before you can get to your final destination, it, it is pretty incredible technology. It is. It is actually a Tesla is not only a car manufacturer, it is a technology company. And now I hear that government is pressing Tesla to make that the charging technology uh, that they have available to all other manufacturers. So if you go to uh, a charging station, for instance, with Chevy Bolt, be able to use those same technology and communication and be able to charge your car. Actually, government is uh, as part of the infrastructure uh, uh, spending that they want to expand the charging station and they are pressing on Tesla to make their charging station available to other car manufacturers, which is, I think, is a great thing if there is a universal protocol for charging and they all can using the Tesla technology for communication, etc. That would be just so great. And I don't think is going to be anything negative for Tesla to make their charging station available to other um, manufacturer, but also it will show general public how open Tesla is on making everything available. Like at the time Toyota was doing the uh, Prius, uh, the, the the hybrid technology, they made it available to other manufacturer, and everybody followed. Uh, Toyota, which was a great thing for Toyota, and they, is, they are still the leader in hybrid. So Tesla is not going to lose anything by doing it, you know, making it available to other manufacturers. Well, we'll see if that, uh, that winds up happening. Um, let me ask you about these trucks. Uh, we just got another minute in the show um, uh, about the trucks that are coming, the Ford F-150 Lightning, the Rivian, the Lordstown, uh, these other trucks. Uh, how important is that to see the EV movement continue? I think that's going to be a game changer. Uh, we know how important trucks are to people here, especially in Southeast. Just about every other family has a truck in their garage. So that's going to be making it all different. You know, people who wanted to have a larger SUV and trucks, now they can get it. We just have to see how it goes. You know, the Ford F-150 Lightning is a truck. The Cybertruck is not a truck. It's like a technology vehicle with lots of torque and power. So there's going to be a wide range of um, vehicles that can do all kinds of things, you know, using the truck platform. So, Mosin, if folks are interested in knowing more about your solar business or your car business, where can they find you? For car business, they can go to bmvw.com. And for solar business, they can go to cleanestream.com. So that's bmvw.com for the electric cars and cleanestream.com for solar. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Energy does matter. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great weekend.
Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Um...